Hello and welcome back to the Red Special Guitar Podcast with me, your host, John Underhill. And in today's episode, we will be talking to another fantastic member of the Red Special community, the one, the only, Mr. Digital Rig from Ireland himself, Mr. Thomas Brunkard. And I caught up with Thomas earlier this year to talk about how he got into Queen, what he's doing with his tribute act and how he uses Amplitude live on stage. So please, 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 a round of applause and welcome to Mr. Thomas Brunkard. Hi there, I'm John Underhill, and this is the Red Special Guitar Podcast. the Red Special Guitar Podcast. Today I have the pleasure of talking to someone I've wanted to talk to for a very long time. He's um, not of these shores, he has a wonderful accent and he is a master of digital rigs. Welcome to the podcast Mr Thomas Brunkard. Hi everyone, hi John. <laughs> how are you Thomas? Not too bad, not too bad. How, how is it in glorious Ireland where you are? Um, it's actually not too bad today. We got sun today, which was nice. Um, I, I was just explaining to John earlier on that uh, my family have uh, deep, uh, they've, they've travelled off to Germany to meet the in-laws for the first time in some time. So um, it's it's uh, it's an interesting situation here. There's pizza boxes everywhere. I'm not going to lie. Outside of this camera shop. <laughs> outside of the camera shop. Tins of Guinness. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> tins are more fond memories than actual tins of Guinness. But yeah, no, that's it. But it's all outside of the shot, so it looks somewhat respectable today, at least. Ideal. You've had time to tidy up since we arranged to do this. <laughs> well, just this bit. There's the hole behind yeah. the camera. <laughs> Brilliant. And Thomas... Um, how has COVID been for you? We've obviously been going through the pandemic for the last two years. How, how have you been affected? Um, a big part of my income was as, as a working musician. And when COVID kicked in, obviously that was all out the window. And it was a very interesting time for everybody. And I'm not going to wax lyrical about how it was so poor for musicians, because that's clear and obvious. But there was kind of a plus side from it, because by creating that sort of pause and that break, um, it allowed me at least to try and explore things with a little bit more detail. Like I, I play in a Queen tribute band, so um, you know it's a very interesting relationship with the music because it's a, kind of a commercial relationship with music that you love, which is a bit strange. And uh, it gave me time to look a little bit deeper into the catalogue and into the playing and into the different things that Brian had done. And um, I also took that time to explore what Amplitude could do and to see if I could make it into a live rig. And it was good to have that space. But um, obviously, I'd probably prefer to have had a few gigs as well, but we got through it. Yeah, I mean, we'll come on to the Amplitude stuff a bit later on, because you, you've really pioneered putting that together as a live rig. But, um, I mean, relatively in terms of the Brian May community, you've only really come on the scene, I say recently, but it's probably on the forum at least in the last maybe four or five years. It might even be less, but yeah, no, that's that's true, you know, and it was fantastic to discover that community. Um, I know it's sort of a common theme, but, you know, the, when, when you guys talk about the before the internet time, um, how hard things were, um, it really was, you know, and uh, 
I was always a huge Brian May fan. The very first gig I got to go to was uh, Brian May's uh, Back to the Light tour when he came to Dublin. And it was fantastic and life-changing and um, put me onto the road of playing guitar. But for years, and it was decades really, I couldn't really get my head around the sound. And it was only by coming across the community on Facebook that I was able to understand, okay, the guitar is important, but treble booster, what does that do? And, you know, overgained box amp, what does that do? And everybody is so warm and is so willing to share that information and I really really love that you know and I, I try my best to try and keep that culture going as well because it's so important because there's lots of people much younger than us John that are taking this craziness up and um, you know this community is the best place for us you know. No, they certainly are and it's it's great your um, input back into the community you know you, you've come in and you started by I mean, you've got your YouTube channel where you've explained what you do and now you're offering lessons for various elements of songs and you're open to requests as well. You've been active in making sure that, that you're putting back what you've taken out is probably the, a nice way of saying it. Yeah, well, that, that's important. I mean, the internet is a very funny place. I mean, like, it, it should be the best of us, you know, because it's where all of humanity meets to discuss things and to make things happen. Um, it's not all, often that, or always or often that. And, um, you know, w when you get an opportunity to keep progressing knowledge, then you're using social media and the internet for what it really should be for, really. So it, it, it does feel good to be part of something like that. I think you were saying it's important to give back. Yeah. Um, when you've get, gotten something and then you were starting off on talking about something there. Yeah, okay, um, yeah, okay, but there is a philosophical point about um, contributing to social media. I mean, it's like all ethics. If um, you put something back in, it's available for you if someone does the same thing. So if we all act in that way, you know, you, you get this wonderful body of knowledge and assistance. Um, I think, yeah. though, you have to be kind of careful as well, you know, because um, it, it has to be all completely altruistic in how you give back, you know, and you really need to be that way and everybody needs to be that way and there needs to be an example of that made because uh, in other communities it's not quite like that. Things become competitive or they become commercial and uh, that doesn't really further learning or anything really like it, I suppose. And I think we're, we're really lucky, I think we've covered this off in the, the podcast in most episodes, how fortunate we are in the Red Special community to have um, so much access to Brian and his team and how information is pretty given, it's given pretty freely and how there's a lovely sense of community around now that's been generated that you know, we have our odd moments where we don't all see eye to eye, but in general, if someone asks a question, even if it's a question that's been asked a hundred times before, someone else will pop up with the answer. I'm not sure. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think, yep, sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. I think that's really rare. And, um, you know, it's great that we've got new people coming in and offering those answers as well. And also yourself, you know, you, it's easy to, to look at the digital rig and say it's not what Brian uses, but you've just... Gone, gone down that rabbit hole, full steam ahead, and you know I've listened to some of your live recordings, and it, I'd love to hear it live because it sounds amazing. It's a lot of fun as well, and it's it's an absolute honour to to work with that material on on stage. There's one major drawback though, John. You know what it is though. What's that, Thomas? The wig, John. I have to wear a wig. <laughs> I have to wear the worst peruke in the history of false hairdos, and it is terrible. Um, and there's no getting around it. But, uh, it, you know, the, the, the band stuff is fantastic. I mean, you know, I, I spent the lockdown working with the recorded material, and uh, we're actually working on a show at the moment that has more of a focus on recreating the recorded uh, sound of Queen, 
which is going to be very interesting. Um, I'll probably be waxing lyrical about that somewhere else on the internet soon because we have a choir and extra musicians and the whole lot, and it's going to be a lot of fun. But uh, the live thing is, uh, is really interesting because it's a lot more basic than people realise. Um, it's a lot more visceral. Um, and you can kind of see that when you see interviews with uh, Queen's current uh, gang. I mean, like if you, if you talk to, to, to Pete Maladron or if you see interviews with him or even interviews with Spike Edney, that they're just a big, loud, dirty rock band. That's that's what it is, you know, and uh, we, we take a lot of solace from that as well because that's that's what it needs to be, just something really basic and put out there. But even from a, a playing point of view, it's quite interesting as well because, um, you, you know, you can spend all the time listening to the recordings and trying to get the notes and the licks right, but there's a different type of thing you have to do at the gig and Brian does it as well, which is not about accurately recreating his own music. It's about putting energy and filling out that sound because he's the only guitarist on stage. He's got keys underneath him, sure. But uh, generally, it's it's basically just him filling out the harmonics, and he does a lot of stuff that you know you just wouldn't do in the studio. You know, there's lots of A strings ringing over solos and all that type of stuff, and that's all part of it. And it's it's a different thing, and I love that I can do both now because I did spend the lockdown learning more about recording and how the craft of that works, and uh, and and obviously it's fantastic to be back gigging and to working in that way, which is a little bit more visceral and uh, almost dare I say real, um, but. You know, they're, they're very different aspects of Brian's playing and it's it's great to be able to work with both. It's really interesting to get you along to a meetup, for example, and bring your rig and then we can all hear it live and you could demo between the two different, the, the live rig and the studio rig so we could yeah. explain what you've done. It, it's kind of an interesting experiment that, now don't get me wrong, okay, and so I'm completely clear and it's on the record, that if I had a Pete Mann drone, I'd probably have three AC-30s if I had to lift three AC-30s, I wouldn't have three AC-30s. And that, that's what it's down to. I mean, like the, the digital choice is a, is a commercial and convenience choice uh, as much as anything. I live in an apartment in a fairly densely populated city. If I had one AC-30, I wouldn't be particularly popular. Even if I had one of those smaller amps, um, I'd, I'd be probably looking for a new house very soon, you know? Um, but, you know, the thing about it is, I suppose, is that even if I had brought my rig to um, the meetup, and hopefully I get to do that in October. Um, if I did that, it, you couldn't really compare the two because the amp would be in the same room as everybody. So the only way you'd ever be able to do science on that is if you had three AC-30s off in another building, because that's pretty, pretty much what it takes, mic them up and then had the digital thing and had them running into the same PA and switching the fader back and forth. And if you did that, you would not hear a single difference. If you stood in the room with the stuff that I use on stage and if you stood in the room with three AC-30s behind you, the difference is quite profound. But the person who experiences that difference is the guitarist. The audience experiences two PA speakers either side. So they don't know. And, um, you know, that, that's who you're really bringing the sound out for when you're doing a gig, the audience. You've just given, just given me a cracking idea for something to do at the meetup this year where we could pre-record some AC-30s with one of the players that... Um, we know that it has ability to record some AC-30s and bring that along. You could record some of yours and we could AV between the two through the PA. And oh, that'd be hilarious, yeah. yeah. It'd be very interesting, all right, yeah. <laughs> but uh, as I we said... We should do that. I, I, I would be very surprised if anyone would pick out a discernible dis difference because at that point, um, you know, it's a different thing. Because even the AC-30, I mean, like, what actually happens to that AC-30 for us to experience it? We have to get a microphone, we have to put it against a speaker grill. So straight away, we've compromised the experience that we have of being in the room with it by trying to push, uh, sorry, fit all of that power into one microphone. 
And then that microphone has to travel into a range of outboard equipment. It'll have to be equalized. It'll have to be compressed. There might be other stuff put on it. And then it's mastered, which is another process. Compression, more equalization. And then, you know, the experience that we have it can be radically different because I could be listening to that sound through headphones on an iPhone, or I could have a pair of hi-fi speakers from the 50s. Um, you know, th there's no objective measure of it, you know, at that point, you know. Yeah. I guess it's just, just more for, for fun and games, really, and see if... Uh, oh, I love fun and games, yeah. Difference. Oh, absolutely, I love fun and games. No, that, 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 that could be cool. No, we were trying, but you know what I mean, though, just on, on, on a serious note, you know, that's... Yeah, yeah completely. Mm. And, and, you know, it's it's one of those things where... Um, I mean, we, we experienced it at the US meetup. We're in a room full of, of young men that haven't played through an AC30 and haven't heard the, the full sound of an AC30 turned up full through, with a treble booster and a... a and a red special guitar and you know i was really fortunate enough to be able to play through doug's rig through three ac30s up full and then attenuated and the look on everyone's face when you hear that sound and you feel it go through you is it's unbelievable and then the guys were able to then get up and play themselves and it's it's like taming a beast it's a different experience for sure Oh, no, it's super cool. I mean, I, I have had that experience to a point um, insofar as like the, the, the rehearsal room that we use. Um, it's a lovely place just outside of the city. And it's lovely old stately Georgian home. That's 18th century to American friends. And um, it, it's um, got a couple of AC30s there. So we got to try it out before and I have done it. And mm -hmm. it is wonderful because part of that, you, you have to do that as a digital modeling enthusiast anyway. You have to understand what it is that you're trying to capture. You know, because, yeah. you know, that's part of it. And the first thing that hits you, um, other than, as you say, the taming effect, because it is about taming, because the thing is just trying to, because the guitar is hollow and every part yeah. of that guitar is trying to do something without you touching it. Um, so, you know, it's, it's like surfing when you have that much power. And that's all part of it because it's designed to do that. You know, it's designed to be a, an acoustically efficient, cavernous machine, you know. Um, but that's fantastic. But see, what happens then is uh, when you have that experience, you kind of go, right, OK, I have to take some of that now and put that into what I'm trying to model, because that's what modeling is doing. And uh, we did have a discussion there just briefly um, on the forum where I was trying to explain about feedback, because uh, this is kind of a topic that comes up when you talk to people that are amp enthusiasts. They're like, oh, the digital stuff will never uh, feedback. Now, feedback is a, it's a property of physics. It's not a property of valve amps. Um, if you have a very loud speaker and you're very near it, feedback is going to happen. But, um, you know, when you don't know that a real amp does that, you have to know that it does that because that's part of what you have to recreate. So when I'm on stage, I have a very loud flap response monitor um, up reasonably loud as well um, in front of me. And that allows me to create that crosstalk between strings, pickups and the speaker. And it's so important. It's so much of it. And uh, even when I'm recording at home, and I have to record silently because of a little girl and she gets very cranky. She's seven going on 17. Um, and an older girl that looks after her and lives with me as well, and she gets very cranky too. So when I'm recording, I don't always have the luxury of uh, cranking the speakers. But even when I am recording when they're not here and I, it's safe to do so, I'll have the studio monitors up in full because you need that discussion between magnets yeah. to, to really get some of the sounds. But yeah, I mean, you know, that, that experience is completely visceral with a real lamp and you, you can't top it. But my point again, though, is that it's an experience that you have as the performer yeah, and uh, it's not what the audience get. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's where 
the, the, the real difference is really is is that experience you feel as the individual holding the guitar playing is the the audience can probably care less or wouldn't even notice in most cases apart from if you had three eighty thirties at full smacking them in the face and they can't hear the drama yeah. of the singer through the PA. Mm. Well, they recognise that, all right. The thing is about the audience, I mean, I mean the, the audience are interesting. I mean, like, we, we discovered this when we put together our, our, our act as a tribute band because we're, we're, we're extremely passionate about the detail, um, except for the wig, obviously, but uh, wigs aside, about everything else, we spend a lot of time with the material and with the sounds, keyboard sounds, guitar sounds, and the whole lot. Um, and we find a very appreciative audience that they, they, they call it authentic, but they're not going to know why. They're not going to know that um, this idiot has spent, you know, a couple of years of his life tweaking knobs to try and recreate the sound of an AC30 in a particular situation, you know. But they don't need to know that. But they do know that all no. of those crazy details add up into an experience that's authentic. And that's that's all that matters, you know. Definitely. And, and for them, it's the full experience. I mean, there's a few of us who would go and watch you play and focus on what you're doing because that's hard persuasion yeah. in the world. Um, and we do that when we go see other tribute guitarists in the group as well, like Luke Timmins, Peter Michalowski, and any others that I've probably forgotten about. Sorry. Um, but yeah, we, we would go and listen to the, the Reagan 8030s and the, the, the very special sound, but most general people would go and see the, the full experience of the drummer, the drum, um, the bass player, the Brian May, and then the Freddie Mercury. Um, yeah. And they're going for that whole experience. Absolutely, totally. I mean, look, to be fair, like as the guitarist, you are kind of lucky because you get to take a solo and somebody can go, oh, I know that part of the song and now I know where it's coming from so you can get the credit and the glory for that at least. Um, whereas the bass player gets it twice in the gig, you know? Yeah. Do you know what the two times are, John? So it's a shame poor John Deacon, he's one of the best bass players there once was, I think. But, yeah. Um, well, you know, it's funny, so, um, I, I was mixing one of our gigs there because we were just making a little film of one we did recently and... Um, you know, guitarists are awful. Like they, they know when the bass isn't there, but they're not really paying attention to what the bass is doing unless they have to play it themselves. Now, I, I had yeah. to record the bass and some of the stuff I recreated, so I got a good insight there. And I deliberately avoided recording songs because I couldn't possibly play the bass. But uh, <laughs> I, I was mixing then um, a live version of Somebody's Love that we had done. And uh, I had the bass isolated and it was just doing a symphony. It was just a magnificent symphony of notes. It wasn't just plodding along with the root of the piano. It was off doing its own thing. John Deacon was a genius. And yeah, you absolutely. could play those lines simpler, but, you know, it, it pushes the music along in a weird kind of way, you know? Yeah. Incredible stuff. A great thing to do is to sit down with headphones on and listen to it and try and find the bass tracks and listen to what he's doing, because the, the bloke's an absolute genius. Absolutely incredible. I mean, like, he's missed, you know, I mean, he's given us enough in fairness, but, uh, you know, it's, 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 um, it's an incredible musical legacy. Um, we were uh, talking about Millionaire Waltz recently just for the fun, you know, and the lines at the start of that song are just outrageous. They're incredible. I mean, like, if you can consider his background, John, I mean, like, he was into Motown, he was into R&B, and he basically pulled, as I say, a symphony on the bass out again on this thing, you know, with, yeah. with, without having the background forward, like, wow. Where does that come from, yeah. you know? It's, uh, it's just inspired playing, isn't it? It's, oh, totally. And, you know, that's all it can be. Oh, no, 100%. And Brian, the same, is guilty of that as well. I mean, you know, that, yeah. that's one of the most amazing things about Queen when you think about it. Um, okay, Freddie had a fairly exotic background. Now, obviously, it was fairly structured and was boarding school and all that, but there's a lot of cultural influences there. But if you think about Brian and... Uh, 
he's grown up in a post-war 50s neighbourhoods just outside of London. All the houses are the same, you know, there's a bit of social conservatism, political conservatism. Um, maybe the, the rationing has just ended. Everything is kind of grey, you know, but his yeah. music, his own lines, much like John's, they have so many different colours, you know. Um, considering the media mix at the time was so limited, it was what was on the radio and what records you owned and what was on the cinema. Now, we were talking about this recently, um, again, probably the meetup because it's so, re it's so recent in my mind, but we were just saying how, you know, how lucky we are as fans that the four of them found each other. And I know it was different back then and music was probably more of that, you getting together with mates and creating something and then the best one would go off to the next band and find the next one. But, you know, it's, we're just so lucky that at that period, not just with Queen, but with many bands that those artists managed to find each other and then how well they gel together and the things that they created is just absolutely phenomenal, really. It's astounding. And, you know, as you say, the, the odds of that happening are incredibly slim. And here's the proof of it. Um, you know, nowadays we're so much more connected. We can find people of a similar interest by just typing it into the machine, typing it into your phone. Mm. And yet, another queen hasn't come out of this, you know, um, yeah. another band of that, you know, uh, magnitude really hasn't. So, you know, it, it's funny, you know, it, it's like they had the right balance of chance and maybe the right limitations to force them to have come together as well, you know, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Well, maybe, you know, I wonder this, uh, everything is so accessible these days that it's easy and not easier not to, but, you know, when you're working in isolation and you're trying to get better and you're doing it the hard way, going to see gigs live, going to different venues playing guitar a lot because there isn't distractions of YouTube and social media and you know you can't go on YouTube and learn how to to nail Brian May's vibrato or how to play Don't Stop Me Now because you would have had to have just listened over and over again and got yourself to that point where you're practicing on your own to get those skills. It's, in many respects I wonder whether that it's harder now because it's almost too easy to find the reference material, whereas back in the day, you'd have had to really have wanted it to be able to get it. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny. It's kind of hard to say, because maybe maybe it's not as easy in a sense, because there's so much stuff pulling at your time and pulling at your, for your attention, you know? And that, that could be a factor, you know? So, I mean, like, you know, if you think of it this way, um, Brian had to make his guitar. Other people that were contemporaries of his, you know, they got the guitar and they were probably paying it off for four years. So the guitar was the focus of their life. Whereas someone that's a teenager now, they might get a console, they might build their own games PC, and it's all about that. But then there might be something else. There might be social media distractions, or there might be, so, you know, there, there's so many different things. So specialization becomes kind of harder in one sense, you know. But um, at the same time, it still means that we still need to share all of that knowledge, because there are people that oh, do definitely. want to specialize and do want to get better at it. And, you know, that's important, you know. Definitely, and, you know, that's, the great thing with now is that we can share things easily and they're kept forever in perpetuity for the next generation to find and and for us to look back on and go, well, we you know we've come a long way in a, in a short space of time from where we were with what what we thought was correct to where we are now with what we think is even more correct and it's a fantastic time to be alive, I think. Truly, yeah, no, absolutely, and it, it's really interesting, like a. Uh... Like, like I said earlier, and like yourself, like I, I, I have a small child, you know, a little girl, and uh, it's kind of interesting watching her grow up as a digital native, you know, with all of this stuff, and how she's reacting to it, because there's people that are sort of a generation after us, maybe, and a generation before her that, you know, maybe they've, they have lost something with all of this huge diversity of media and information, but she doesn't have that, 
and she's got full access to everything and she can watch any show she wants anytime she wants. But what she's starting to um, give primacy to in terms of her preference is things that have an immediacy, stuff that has a tangible effect. So she, she could, you know, I wouldn't let her, but she could get into computer games and lose half her day playing that or something like that or any of that stuff. But what she chooses to do, she chooses to play guitar. God, yeah. sadly. <laughs> and uh, she chooses to draw, she chooses to make stuff, uh, she chooses to dance. And these are all tangible, immediate things, you know. So, yeah. you know, maybe we've come to a point where people are like, okay, I know what this thing is for now, and I'll have this much of it, but I'll just use it to facilitate real experiences. Yeah, definitely. And let's hope that the future generations do that. And I think it's... Um... Definitely, it's certainly something to see with their own children as well, that they might try to colour something and go dancing to some music and enjoying that. They'll, they'll use their, their time with the screen for chilling out and relaxing and then they'll get up and dance to some music. So hopefully the, the generations to come will be yeah, using it correctly. But Thomas, how, how did you find Queen? Well, where were you when you heard your first Queen track? Oh, here we go, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, you know what, actually, it's kind of a weird one, actually, because, um, you know, uh, Queen, Queen, like for most people, I suppose, really, like maybe most people my age, um, it was kind of stitched into the fabric of, of you growing up, basically. So um, we had two television channels growing up, you know, sorry, kids, you know, but um, we had two and um, there was a set amount of children's programming on uh, Irish national television. And uh, there was a pair of puppets who actually went to England, Sig and Zag, I don't know if anyone remembers those. They used to be on Chris Evans' show, but uh, they, they started in Ireland, obviously. And uh, Zig and Zag had a show and they used to play music videos. And at about 1989, obviously, The Miracle came out. And the thing about The Miracle that was so clever about it is that the videos were all, from all of the singles, um, were very kids TV friendly because they were kind of gimmicky. Like The Invisible Man was just perfect. It had all the special effects and it was cool and all of that. And Breakthrough had the train and The Miracle had actual kids in it, you know? So yeah. the three of those got high circulation. And I used to love them. I thought this was great. So I, I got The Miracle on tape at the age of nine. And then obviously that disappeared. And um, Innuendo didn't land with me so much um, here. Like it was kind of, a, it popped in and it popped out very quickly uh, because it was 10, you know, basically. And it was a, it was a very different type of thing. And it was, it was very much involved for real music listeners. And the 10 year old wasn't going to quite get, get to it as the singles off The Miracle. And then, you know, Freddie died. And here's the weird thing. I mean, for me, like when Freddie died, I, I was uh, 11. And it, it didn't click what had actually happened um, until all of the music started to come out everywhere. So basically all the stuff that I knew, that I had an, a, a currency with, which was the Miracle singles, they were back out and about in the media space. Uh, the Innuendo stuff was about as well, but Bohemian Rhapsody and lots of older stuff that was in the back of my mind. Like I knew the Flash Gordon film because we all saw that as kids because it was yeah. a television thing. I didn't know it was the same band that did my songs. I knew Reggio Gaga and I, I never connected all of those songs. And suddenly it was just like, wow, they did all of this. And um, that's really funny because that actually happened. I watched that happen again when uh, Bohemian Rhapsody came out because people, again, they'd know, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Don't Stop Me Now from, say, like uh, the Cabri ad or some ad or something, and mm -hmm. they know one song for something else. And suddenly it's like, holy crap, they all just came from that one band. I have to get into this. And that's what happened to me. And, you know, sadly it happened uh, like after Freddie died. And, you know, I remember watching the tribute concerts. We were on holiday in Cork and, um, you know, it was raining and it was on and we got to watch it, which was great. And it was just incredible just, just to see all those songs come alive again, you know? And then nothing, it all just stopped. 
So I had to go find it myself at that point. And you could do that then, but it just meant getting your pocket money and running into the city centre and going to a record shop and trying to find bits and pieces. And then the next thing that happened, um, it was in the newspapers that Brian May was coming to Dublin. And I was like, oh my God, I have to totally go to this, you know. And I had just bought a guitar and it was one of those horrible sort of um, an acoustic guitar with the, the action a mile high, the classic sort of, uh, you know, I, I think you guys would call it an Argos guitar. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was trying to bash through Hey Joe and um, I was too young to go. So I had to do a deal with my, uh, my poor late mother. And uh, the deal was that she'd take me to Brian May, but <clears throat> I had to go and she would take me to every subsequent show of Brian May's. Um, but I had to go to every show of status quo that would come to Dublin thereafter. Now, that was a Faustian pack, John, because Brian never came back. <laughs> yeah. But status quo kept coming back over and over again. <laughs> now, don't, don't get me wrong, like status quo were great fun and all that, like, you know, but, um, you know, like, it, it, was, it, it was an imbalance, you know. But when I went to see Brian May, it was the first rock show, and at that stage, his band, he had Cozy with him, Cozy Powell. And yeah. obviously it's Spike and he had, um, you know, the, the glamorous backing singers and it was a big show. But it was just like, what the hell has happened here? This thing is immense. Like the sound was actually, it was thunderous. I mean, you know, you have Cozy doing that 1812 uh, Overture drum solo. And, you know, he, he, and there was a couple of moments, like he did some things like, um, and they were rather quite poignant and, and you kind of got the sense of the occasion from them and as a result because obviously he did love my life and poor Brian, you know, came apart during it, you know, really, you know, you, and everybody just sang him out of it. And then he did songs that were just kind of odd. I think he did Teo Toriati, which was, excuse me, I'm pronouncing that right, Teo Toriati. Um, and things like that. So, so that's how I landed into it. And after that, I was like, right, I'm getting an electric guitar, I'm doing this, I'm going to do this correctly and right and I'm just going to study all this stuff. And, you know, after that, like, Queen would just pop in and out, like, Made in Heaven came out and the, the Rocks compilation and all of that. And I got into other stuff as well, obviously. And uh, But they were always there, you know. I was always listening to Queen coming back to it. But here's the funny thing, John. I couldn't play it, you know. I'd go off and I'd, I'd learn, you know... Um, well, I could play it, but, like, I couldn't play it, play it. So I'd learn Bohemian Rhapsody. I learned the Bohemian Rhapsody solo and I got a good job of it, but it was just never right just never sounded right and I was like is it my playing or what is it and I'd abandon learning their stuff and I'd come back again and there was only solos like uh, a crazy little thing called love I always had that down you know and then the penny dropped it's because the sound wasn't right because the sound is so much more part of it you know I mean I, I could go off and if I had a, a Les Paul and a Marshall I could learn a Tin Lizzy or Guns N' Roses song it'll sound like Tin Lizzy or Guns N' Roses fine and I'll get that sound out and all of that and um you know, but when you go learn a Brian May song on one of those type of rigs and play it, you're just like, wow, this isn't really doing what he does, you know? It's a bit of a moment, isn't it? Because you do realise, you sort of definitely feel like, is it me? Is this me? Am I that bad? Can I not do what he's doing? Because it looks like I'm pressing my fingers on the right frets and I'm hitting the right strings, but... There's something else, yeah. There's always something else. <laughs> and there is always something else because, I mean, you know... I know you want to get to Amplitude, but the great thing about all the digital stuff is it kind of, as well as the convenience and all that type of stuff, it just it makes that sound accessible for people, you know, yeah. so they can fill that. And there's a pro and a con to that. The pro is, is if you put into practice, you'll sound, you'll get that sound and then you can start making decisions. Do I want to do my own thing with that sound? Am I happy to recreate Brian's stuff um, and all that? But the other downside with it is, is that if you have all of that and you still don't sound like Brian May, it's back on you then. Um, which is good, actually. That's a positive thing, I think. But it just means that, yeah. you, you know, you know that there's nothing else to buy now 
and you just got to focus on your technique. Which I think is um, something that a lot of us need to do. Um, as much fun as buying things is, and I am guilty of buying certain things um, to get me closer to Brian May sound and to get me closer to the guitar, there's no substitute for playing. I think if I'd spent the amount of time I'd spent on researching things or arranging meetups and podcasts, I'd probably be a very good player by now. But you know what it is, John? I mean, like, to be fair, like, it, it, it's it's very hard stuff to explain. I mean, I, I, I've been on a hobby horse all week um, about tabs. Now, uh, just for the benefit of everybody else, we, we have a, a secret uh, uh, Facebook chat going on, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, the, the way people learn is they look at the dots and they try and get the dots. And, um, you know, you know Matt on the forum, you know, our basics for is he's on YouTube. Like, yeah. he, he did some great work. And if anyone wants to learn how to play that like Brian May, um, or at least to know what they need to learn to learn how to play Brian May. They have to look up Basics 4 on YouTube and just understand the detail that's in the playing because it's not just, you know, dots on the page and playing that fret, that fret, that fret. It's how they're phrased, all that type of stuff. And that's part of the reason why I've come back to actually just going to, to do lessons because I just want to revisit those teams and just try and get them recorded and out there because, you know, mm. I, I spent a lot of time trying to get that and I want to pass that back. But that's the next piece. And the bad news about that one is you can't buy it. But the good news is, is that there are resources that you can get to do it. And the only thing you have to inject into it from your own point of view is time. And once you get that your way. But, uh, you know, by having more diversity of people talking about all those tricks are, I, I hope we'll be able to get more people up to that threshold, at least with the playing, you know. Yeah. Well, it's, it's definitely interesting watching because there's certain things I feel like I can play and I'm not unable to play Queen songs, but you watch a video and you look and you go, ah, oh, I've never not heard it that way, or I've not seen that, or I've not picked that up myself from it before, and you try it and you think, ah, oh, that's just made that, that two-note phrase that little bit better, and uh, you know, it's, it's little things like that, that that, 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 the, that small two-note phrase doesn't make a big difference in the whole solo, but if you can pick that little two-note phrase from, or three-note phrase from you, and a bit from Matt, and a bit from um, Merlin and a bit from all the other people that are posting up things you, all of a sudden your ability and how you then can approach things because you start to hear it in Brian's other solos or in other other pieces it's, it's a really great thing Thomas so th thank you for putting it out there for us because I know how much time it takes to put things together for, for people and then sitting down and editing and thinking about how you can do it, framing it, lighting it, recording it, setting up the sound. It's, You're going to hate me, John. It's not an easy thing. I, I'm, I'm not as considered as you. Um, basically what's happened this week since I've started doing that particular end of things. Now, I used to be like that, uh, but really now I have a single camera that I'm using to track this up on a stand and I just go, what's annoying me today? Or I might see something and I just go, you know what, that would help that guy or that girl or whatever it is, is if someone did this or whatever it is. And I'm just doing them on the fly at the moment. So that's why I'm calling them kind of rants, you know. Um, yeah. I used to teach guitar before in a, in a past life. I did 10 years hard time at it. Um, so I have a lot of lessons, plans and things like that, that I can come back to. But I, I'm not too considered about it, if, if that makes sense. Uh, it's nearly like the rant of the day type thing, you know. Yeah. I guess, but I, you know, you still want to do it and you still got to think about it and put it together and produce it and you think about it and then and put it out there. And that takes effort that you didn't have to do. No, I mean, but what else would I do? <laughs> help me, help me live a normal life. <laughs> well, maybe drink more Guinness. Uh, no, <laughs> there's the, the demerits there, so, you know, yeah. 
So a younger Thomas Bronkard is around the early 90s. Um, you happened across a bit more Queen and, and you know, you've said that Freddie passing and the music's come back in and that the penny starts to drop about how many things Queen have written that you knew of. And you've decided to pick up the electric guitar and you've realised there's something missing. So, as I said earlier, you didn't really pop onto the forum until maybe you probably write more like three or four years ago. We're in 2022, so there's a big 20 year gap there. What, what happened in there, and how did you end up oh, coming God, to, yeah. to playing for Queen in the, your Irish Queen tribute band? Yeah, um, okay, well, you know, I'll, I'll just throw in some highlights there because I don't want to tell my life story for 20 years up to join to the forum because uh, <laughs> that'd be quite, quite the show, uh, and nobody needs to know. <laughs> Um, my daughter might see this eventually, you know, so we won't have a confessional just yet, you know. But um, that, uh, when I got more serious into the guitar, and there is a point where you, you start to take it more seriously, where you move past the chords, you've mastered your bar chords, and you're going, okay, these are the scales, and where did this all settle? Um, I had to go to other places with the music. Now, there was one thing that was a big help. I did go to London um, about 1995, I think it was, maybe 94. And uh, it was about the time that Tower Records was still open in Piccadilly Circus. And they had an amazing music book collection there. And it had loads of stuff that you just couldn't get here. You know, it was stuff that was just extremely fringe. And I got uh, two off the record books, uh, Queen One and Innuendo. And those things um, just blew my brain apart because not only did you have the guitar parts, but you also had what all of the harmonic structure of the song was in terms of keys and vocal harmonies. So I spent a lot of time with that and trying to understand that. I think that's really important. And that's actually, sorry, happy horse again. Um, if you're learning Queen's music or if you're actually learning any guitar music and you're just learning the guitar and you just don't know what's going on underneath the guitar, you're not really learning anything because it's the, how the, the lines interact with the harmonic structure of the song that really make it interesting and really give you something that you can take and keep for yourself. You will learn phrasing and you will learn technique, but when you go to try and recreate, if you have to write your own guitar solo, write your own song without understanding where that came from and how that fitted into the song in the first place, you're going nowhere for that. Um, so having those books and having that insight was a great help for me. And I went off on another merry musical adventure for two decades that had nothing to do with Queen. Um, I got to record, so I got to work as a session guitarist for a while, I got to teach, which was fantastic. I have a real job and a real career, by the way, but I got to do all these other things, which was really cool, you know. And I got to tour and play gigs and the whole lot. And uh, But I wasn't a Queen guitarist, if that makes sense. I never really have been. I, I mean, like, it, it's, it's um, something that's part of who I am, but it's not, you know, something that I'd let define me, if that makes sense. That would be yeah. terrifying. It means that I'd have to just curl my hair permanently, you know, and just not bother with the wig and just sign up to it, you know. Um, but then I got into other stuff and um, I, I got to make my own album, which was great. And what was even better is I sold enough of them to pay for all the stuff I bought to make the album. <laughs> um, and then uh, Spotify came and that was the end of that. And, you know, I learned another instrument. I learned uh, a thing called an arpeggione, which is a bowed instrument. And I got to do some stuff with that. Got filled. So that was all cool. And Queen allowed for that uh, to happen for me, if that makes sense by actually just spending the time to learn. Because you can learn music through Queen, you can learn music to a very high degree through Queen, you know. But then uh, an interesting thing happened. Um, just in the interest of spinning up a few quid, we were in a wedding band, myself and uh, some long-suffering uh, confederates. And uh, we, we, we did re reasonably well, but um, it kind of pe petered out a bit and we were losing interest because it's, it's very hard work and it's, it's terrifying, in fact, in some regards. But... Um, 
you know, we had originally tried to form a Queen tribute band, but we just gave up on it and just did the wedding band because it was uh, it, it was just easier to get going. And we said, oh, we'll come back to that, we'll come back to that. And we never did, you know, um, until uh, one day it was just Peter and I said, look, we need to do this, you know, because our singer is really good at being Freddie Mercury. He's super good at being Freddie Mercury, scarily good in terms of the moves and all of that type of stuff and the singing. So I said, listen, let's just get back to that and let's just do it right. And I went straight up onto eBay and I bought the first Burns I could find. And that, that was it. I'd done that now and now I'm committed to it. Now, I had owned a Burns before and it was a glory purchase, but uh, I had bought it and, you know, I plugged it in and it sounded like crap because they do. Okay, if you plug them into a normal amp without the full raft of everything that comes after it, it's a very uninspiring guitar. I know people use them for other things and all that, but if you're coming from a Les Paul, which is a very full sounding instrument naturally, and then you plug in a, a Brian May copy, it just doesn't do that. And you're like, oh my God, where's all the tone gone? And then you flick the, the phase switch and you have a clean tone on and it's just rancid. So, um, you know, I bought the, the Brian May guitar and, um, you know, I was like, okay, this sounds nothing like Brian May. And at that stage, I'd, I'd abandoned amps anyway. I had the Helix and, had I got the Helix? I had the Helix at that stage. So I said, okay, what does Brian use? He's got a Vox AC30. So I just dialed in the Vox AC30. Still sounded like rubbish. And I think at that point, I, I found the form. And I, I, I just trawled through uh, the group and I was just like, oh, okay, treble booster is the thing. And da, 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 and tried to recreate those things. And eventually I got my hands on a treble booster. And I plugged that into the front of the Helix, and then it was Flavor Country. Everything made sense then, you know? And um, at that point, I had the confidence then to go and say, right, we need to get serious about doing this tribute band. And we got to work, and we worked hard. And I booked a gig, and uh, I spoofed it up and said, this is the best thing ever. You won't believe how, like, Queen this is, you know? It didn't even exist. And I got the gig, and it was set for St. Patrick's Day. God, what year? I'm going to say... 2018, 1920 was the plague. I'm going to say 2018. And uh, we worked hard. And we didn't make it, you know, or we almost didn't because uh, we had a guy that was playing keys and um, there was an immense amount of snow that winter. And we said to everyone, right, we have to be right for that gig. Nobody go outside. And this guy went outside and broke both his legs, you know, or, or something to that effect. And luckily we got the guy who plays keyboards with us now, James. And James was a legend. He just learned the sesh, got it all off a page. And um, we did the gig. And we fought to do it. Nobody wanted to do it, but I was like, we have to do this. If we don't do this, we'll be back to doing weddings again. And it was incredible. It was a visceral experience. And it was great because I had a lot of support from the forum all through it. And I was able to share the videos and say, I got there, I did it. Yes, now what? <laughs> and it, it was really cool. But, you know, you meet that point and then what actually happens is you haven't really, you've progressed, but you haven't really got there. You'll never really get there unless, you know, you could change every cell in your body to be Brian May's circa 1984. Um, but then I got more detailed about it. I was trying to understand more about how the thing works and all of that. And we, we, we you know, it, it was more of a journey. And then the engagement with the board increased, if that makes sense. Sorry, I'm, I'm ranting. <laughs> no, it's all no, it's really interesting because it's, it's things, you know, I remember when you, you popped up on the forum and, um, and watching your story grow and it's it's good to hear what happened before and the why as well because as i said in um what's becoming really interesting is how similar all of our stories are in terms of when we were inspired how it's then led us and where we then ended up today all together on the forum but the, the why someone's done something is often quite quite the interesting part not not the what yeah it's, no it's true. interesting to learn your why absolutely yeah um and it's worked out really well. Like, I mean, we, we're, 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 you know, we're, we're 
selling out venues really big. We, we had a, 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 our biggest selling crowds there just on St. Patrick's weekend. Uh, it's going really well. I mean, it's just, it's an interesting thing because like, you know, the challenges is that when you, when you get a, a tribute band up to that level is what you do next because at the end of the day, you know, there's only so many Queen songs to learn you know? <laughs> yeah. um, and places you can go. But um, it's great to have at least got it to that stage and to be able to sustain it for that level, you know. But, but for me, it's not enough. I need to be doing other things as well. Like to, you know, I, I've got these skills and, you know, it's nice to be able to share that stuff in a video as well. I do get a kind of a thrill out of that and, you know, from other people getting something from it too you know so there is that as well you know that's the selfish thing there you know too no, it's, it's really interesting understanding where you come from and where you where you're trying to get to and it's just going back to sort of discovering the forum when did you learn that was that when you realized brian made his own guitar or did you know a long time ago i'm sorry john can you repeat that one sorry Sorry, I was saying, when, when did, obviously you joined the forum and you had the Burns guitar that, that you knew of that yes. Brian had reproduced and you knew that it wasn't the right thing. When did you learn that Brian had built his own guitar? Was that more recently or was that originally no, back in I, the early 90s no no I, I knew i knew that he had built it from a very early stage i, I was a member of the queen fan club john in uh jesus as early as 1993 and i i, I had uh, jackie and jim jenkins Jack, jackie smith as she is now so she was jackie gunn then jackie smith and jim jenkins uh, book as it began and it, it, in fairness like that book was fantastic it, 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 you know before the internet because it, it gave you the full story as to how they came about as a band you know and it did feature yeah. a bit on the guitar and i also got this book it's hiding up there somewhere called brian may super rock guitar so i actually found that in dublin and uh I found it very near from where I sit, which is really funny, just over there in Capel Street in a shop called Goodwins. And it went through extraordinary detail because it was a Japanese book that was translated into English. But it seemed to have come out at about the time that the uh, original Guild 1984 one had come out. And it did explain what it is that the thing did, you know. Now, when I had the burns, now, I didn't pick up about the booster because I thought that was a mistranslation. I was like, why would a booster make any difference, like make it louder? why you know that's not, that's really not, I didn't understand that it was compressing the hell out of the preamp and just making that poor little lamp scream for dear life you know um but um I got that book and I got some understanding about it now the burns I got through that gig on that burns you know and um I think I ended up uh, flipping it for something else what was it that I did no I had it I got through a couple of gigs with it but then a very strange thing happened and uh, I'll, I'll happy to tell that story uh, this guitar behind me I don't know if you can see it I just lift it up. A gentleman showed up at a show in Limerick with this one. And it was literally like a mysterious druid-like character. He was like, you don't have one of these. And he was looking at the Trem. And the Trem is like Brian's. And I'm like, oh, it looks like Brian's. Now, I had the fake one that you put into the uh, the, the Burns. You know, it has yeah. the, the bolt on it. I was like, oh, he has one of them. And then I was looking at, oh, hang on. There's something else going on here. And he's like, yeah, it's on a knife edge. And I'm like, okay. And he said you can have that for 500 euro. And 500 euro in Queen's pound sterling is what, John, maybe 420 pounds. Yeah, not, not very much at all. Not very much at all. And uh, he, he, he loved the gig and the whole lot and he, he was coming to see us in Limerick and I was like, you know, no second chance uh, on this. So I gave him the 500 quid straight up. And I did give him a treble booster as well, actually. It was one of those ones, oh God. It was one of those ones that you could choose the flavor of the boost. Um, a gentleman in England was making them, but he doesn't make them anymore. I can't remember, but it doesn't matter. So I gave him one of those and he was delighted and I was delighted. And that changed everything because a big part of the sound is 
the way this thing is spooning the cords all the time and even it's using the lead work and everything and you can't do it on the Burns or the BMG as well. Yeah, you, you can't. It's really not there. So that, that was the first thing. And then on the forum, I went on the magical journey of pickups and uh, pickups was a very early thing. I, 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 I'd been emailing Aidan, um, uh, is it Adison or Addison? Have, I, have we established the pronunciation? Addison, Addison, everyone. Tomato, tomato. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to upset anyone, but uh, I, I, I was, I was onto aid for. Now he was sick at the time, and he wasn't making them. So look, that wasn't a thing. And then Matt in Yorkshire from Yonderbusk popped up and said, "Oh, I'm thinking of making these things." So I was straight onto Matt. I was like, "The second you make a set of them, I will do anything for them." Now I didn't hint at something sexual, but I think he got the subtext. <laughs> that that there was no limit. You haven't been to the meetup yet. No, no, clearly not. Like you know, but there was no limit to what I would have done to, to have got one of uh, a set of Matt's magic pickles because he had explained it, and the post that he put up didn't really get a whole lot of traction. But I was reading, I was going, "This is the thing. He's got the thing sorted," you know. And um, Matt is an absolute legend. I have, I, I know what was going on about Matt's stuff in my videos. I just think it's very important that people realise what he's done. I know there's other people have done it as well. It's just Matt is, is the person that's done it for me, you know. Yeah. And um, what he made, what he achieved those pickups, when I got those pickups, everything was different again, you know. Because at that same time, I did the other thing that people do. And just for everybody that's listening to this, if you have a normal BMG, the very first thing you can do for very cheap is change the pot value on the volume pot. Huge difference. Now you've got the clean top. Massive difference. Oh, massive difference. But I, I, I had that happen at once where I got the underbusks and the volume pot to happen at the same time. And everything was different then, you know. And this is before we, we get to uh, what, what Amplitude did for me, you know. Yeah. You know, so, mm. I mean, yeah. So it must have been quite fun for you, you know, that, that short space of time where you've been, I wouldn't say gifted a guitar because you still have to pay for it, but some chap eerily turning up and going, you can have this for not very much money. And then Mr. Netherwood turning up and going, and I'm now making some very accurate pickups for uh, not very much. And, uh, yeah, it's just so weird. I, I've just been so lucky. You know, I've been really, really lucky like that. Now, now, you have to make your own luck as well. And so far as like, you have to be out and about and watching these things for these opportunities to, to arise. Um, but yeah, no, I, I was extremely lucky with that. And uh, Matt made me some treble boosters as well. And I have a selection of them here of three, in fact, and they're absolutely fantastic. They were all game changers too. And I had a very recent, uh, sorry, can I talk about this guitar now? Of course you can. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, this only happened this week, which was really strange, yeah, you no, know. I was and to say that that's a new acquisition. Yeah, no, it, it was new, you know. Um, uh, I got into a little funny little business, and it was a, it was a business where I would get BMG guitars, and I'd get the parts from Woody, and just for everybody to know this, Ron Smith from uh, Cybershop and. Um, Woody from um, RS Conversions are, are, are masters of this stuff because they make all of the hardware to make a BMG into the proper trim. But uh, I got into a little business where I bought loads of parts of uh, Woody and Ron and I flipped a few BMGs into, uh, you know, more respectable instruments, <laughs> you know, with all of the, the mod cons and I sold them on. And I didn't have one myself with Woody's parts. I, I just kept this thing which I, I don't know what the set is on that. I, I, it's, it's not the same as Woody's. It's not as good either. But um, at that point as well, I started waxing lyrical on YouTube and on social media about how great it is to have the underbosks, to have the pot and to have the conversion done. And didn't an old friend of mine um, actually listen to my garbage and went and did it. 
And uh, I, I, I have to call him James. We used to call him Chuck for some reason back in the way. But James, James Dornan um, made this guitar. And what, what it is, is it's, it, this is a Burns. And he got Woody's parts. He got Matt's wonderful pickups. He got the correct pots, the whole show. And he did such a great job on it. And then he put it up for sale. And I was like, oh my God, first of all, I don't believe that you did that. And, uh, you know, and I know you. And I actually know another person in my locality that has done this ridiculous thing. Um, but you're also selling it. So I had to have it, obviously, then, and we yeah. came to a wonderful arrangement. So now this, this is the one I'm using on stage at the moment, and it has two advantages over the whatever the Brand X is on that one, and I will change the trim on that eventually, is that the saddle pieces on this, if you break a string, they do not fall out. And that is such a big thing when you're at a gig, because when that saddle piece falls out on a stage, on a dark stage, that's the end of that guitar for the night. Um, which is not good news. So that, that's a plus. And his trem is fantastic. Ron's design on this is great because it's just so easy to get the vibrato to come out of it. So that was just really lucky, you know. There's a few little things I need to do with it. Um, you know, uh, this, this is set up with a more correct string gauge. It's nines, but I don't use nines. I'm terrified of yeah. using nines on a Brian May guitar. I use tens. Like real fear, John, real fear of the sixpence causing something bad to happen. But uh, yeah, you know, so I mean, look, I, I have been lucky and, um, uh, you know, but again, you make your own luck. And what I'd say to anybody that's out there, there's a couple of things you need to do. If you have um, a digital situation, try and, you know, figure out a way of getting a, a real treble booster into it. It will make a difference. Get one of mats, they're incredible. Change the volume knob. If you can get decent pickups, that's the next thing you do. But the final flourish, change the trim. It's really worth it, you know. Definitely. And it, it does change the way you play as well, having the, the correct bridge where you can pivot your hand, how you then can attack the strings, oh, absolutely. where you can attack the strings, and then having the vibrato on in the correct place with the correct balance is such a difference. And it's one of those things that until you try it, it's very hard to to understand what people are saying before. And when you like, the Burns tremolo isn't fantastic for doing this. And when you've got the real thing, it, it makes a hell of a difference in trying to to replicate or emulate Brian's playing. No, it absolutely does. Because, I mean, like, you, you can see it all the time. I mean, like, people need to watch the Guitar Licks video. Sorry, am I calling that right? The, the one that he did in 1984. Because... Starlicks. Starlicks, excuse me. Thank you. You know, Starlicks. Because, I mean, like, you, you can see him when he's at it, like, when he's, when he's doing his clean patches, just... This is going up and down with him the whole time. And it's always moving, and it's always part of the sound, and, you know, mm. um, it, 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 it's, it's so integral. There's one other benefit to it, John, that people don't realise too, which is um, when you have the trem that's the uh, Fender style trem, when you bend a string, um, all of the other strings are pulled with it. Yeah. And that doesn't happen with this, you yeah. know? And that, that's a huge a thing. Massive, massive benefit when you're playing, especially with the amount of bending that Brian does. And, Truly. Um, and the vibrato as well, because on those Fender trems, when you, you try and wiggle the string enough, it, it pulls the whole thing out and it can cause some funky things to happen, especially with a not very well set up Burns guitar or Brian May guitar. Yeah, it can be bad news, you know, really, absolutely, you know. Um, so th those type of things, they really do make a difference. So, yeah, those those are great toys. So, yeah. <laughs> so, and that, you know, it's, it's a testament to Brian again. You know, we've been talking about how skilled he is at creating music and his uh, humble background of, and his influences and then what he's been able to craft on the guitar. But unlike most musicians, not only did he craft it on the guitar, he also crafted the guitar with this most fantastic system 
of uh, tremolo and switching and pickups and and you know it, it's it's such a magical thing. It, have you considered building your own yet? I don't think that's going to happen, John. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm happy enough to talk about it and direct other people, but I'm not, not, not to get my own hands dirty, but uh, I need a workshop. And as you can see in this apartment, uh, I'd probably be in trouble if I started to do woodwork here. I mean, there's a lot to be said for, but, you know, you know I, I have a lot of respect for you doing it, by the way, you know, for building your own, because it's an incredible journey to take. And it's, it's an amazing thing to talk to you about and for you to discuss with people, because um, you did so well. You'd never built a guitar before and you got an instrument that was perfectly good and playable and right and one that you had made yourself. And just one other part of the Brian May piece as well is that, you know, that there's a secret ingredient in that guitar, which is his dad, Harold May. Yeah. And um, his life story is incredible. Every, and every now and then I get a snippet of what Harold May was like as a person from an interview. And I'm like, we need to know more about this guy. Like, there's a story here, you know. Um, aircraft engineer, something happened in World War II, played the ukulele, wow, you know, what's going on, you know? Um, and uh, it, it, it's, it, there's a lot there, in, 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 you know, that could explain how they arrived at a lot of those design decisions. But as I say, it's not for me, you know? I'm happy to play them and I'm happy to, you know, tell Matt, <laughs> uh, like that uh, I need another treble booster, but I'm not going to do it myself. Too... These are girly, these are artist's hands. <laughs> Soft, <laughs> delicate. <laughs> I was going to say that space behind you looks bigger than the uh, workshop in Brian Harold's house, so you, you know you can't use the space argument as a. Well, well let me just sort of uh, adopt it. I know we can see the numbers that are on this rug and the various bits of child-related detritus that uh, exist around here, you know. And there's more the other side of this camera that I kicked out a shot. Like this, this, this is Alba's workshop here, you know, my daughter's, you know. Yeah. So yeah. So talk to me about finding the forum. Was that a big like? wake-up moment, or not wake-up, but eye-opening moment to go, actually, there's a whole group of 3,000 other people that are into this thing that I thought, you yeah. know, did you think you are into the thing in isolation, or were you aware of... I, I, I knew there had to be somebody out there. There had to be other people. I knew I just was trying to to find where they had uh, naturally gathered on the internet was quite the thing, you know, and uh, I can't remember how I actually found it, but it was great that I did because, you know, all, all the things we've said and you know that sense of community is great because that community is still there and it's um it's growing as well now um will it last forever probably not eventually people will stop using facebook <laughs> you know and they'll have to move somewhere else or they'll have to do something somewhere else and whatever the next thing is and that's something we have to watch out because we are kind of all custodians of it but um, I, I hope it continues for a long time because it is a wonderful thing it's very organic and real and a breeding thing and um, it was a great few years as well because we had a lot of things happen, you know, um, we had Matt's creations, we had Amplitude come out, we had, you know, um, lots of people making videos and showing stuff off and being quite open about how they're doing things. And that, that, that all happened in a very short point, space of time, so there is kind of um, yeah. a golden era going on, I think, nearly in a way, you know. Definitely. I think the Red Special book came out within that. By Simon Bradley and Brian came out, and, and the Bohemian Rhapsody films, you could definitely see a surge in numbers growing after that. And I think there's um, a really big movement now with people that have watched Bohemian Rhapsody and decided they like Brian, and with the re release of Back to the Light and now Another World this, this month, I think you know, there's more and more youngsters finding his music, and it, it's striking a chord with them. It's kind of funny, you know, it sort of comes full circle sometimes, all right? We, we did a show in um, a place called Drogheda. Um, it's one of those places all for Cromwell squashed to pieces. Uh, <laughs> but uh, um, we, we played a show there uh, last weekend, and um, when, when we played the show, it was an all-ages show. Uh, 
and we got to see that firsthand. Now, we never really did an All Ages show with this band before, but it was kind of surprising and it was, it was kind of a bit poignant for me personally because I, I told you how I, I got to see Brian Wayne when did that deal with my mum and all that and um, she only passed away in September and the whole lot so, so that, that, that those kind of memories are still hanging around a bit more every day and what happened was we did the show and there was loads of kids and it was one little kid and it could have been me because he was the same age he was 12 and he was at his first gig with his mum I don't know what deal he had to make and he was like oh my god you're talking to me and I was like I know it's weird why is this weird <laughs> Chill out, dude. It's cool, you know. I'm not actually Brian May. Look, <laughs> you know. But um, you know, he, he, you know, and he was playing guitar, and I said, "Here, look, I'll give you a look at this thing." And I brought over the guitar and gave him a look, and his head just exploded. It was like as if Brian May had shown him the the, the red special, and it was lovely. It was great, and I was kind of going, "Right, okay, that's it, Brian. Now we're even. <laughs> <laughs> I can retire." <laughs> no, it's it's really so nice, isn't it? You, you know, to see the youngsters coming in, and it it feels like. You're getting older when you get to that point where you're taking great pleasure in the youth picking up the thing that you love and, and driving it forward but it is such a magical thing to see that and to through what is for us is relatively straightforward in you know an act of showing the youngster the guitar after yeah. the gig it, it make his you know that could be him playing guitar now for the rest of his life what, what a fantastic thing to do so cool you know and maybe he might take it somewhere different or something new and create his own band and that that's a perpetuating yeah. circle then you know Definitely, and you know, it's it, we mustn't forget that when we're talking to. I think when we're at meetups or when we're um, on the forum or on Facebook or on you know and, and discussing things, because that those those youngsters that are asking those questions that have been asked a, f a fair few times over the years, they don't know. They've not been there before, and it's the first. You know, it's quite hard to pluck up courage in a, a group full of us old farts that talk about these things like we know what we're talking about for them to go excuse me what, what do we do here and you know we've got to remember that i think when we're it's so important when we're comment commenting it's so important and and you know like it, it's something that maybe we should always say when we post at the end of everything is like if you have any questions you know there's no shame here you know because you know particularly yeah. with boys young boys like you know they don't want to ever show weakness by asking a question you know and you, you know <laughs> Uh, and I, I, I'm, I'm cursed and I'm lucky that I have a daughter because she asks nothing but questions. It's question after question. Yeah. But, uh, but boys tend to try and go, oh, I'm going to pull on through and figure this out for myself. I don't want to appear weak. <laughs> but, um, you know, we have to just always keep that community aspect going where people know that, yeah, you can ask a question. It's fine. I'll answer it a hundred times more if it means that you, you'll get it. You know, let's do this, yeah. you know. Because uh, mm. you, You're also the, um, as we touched on earlier, you seem to be the, the knowledge or the Oracle on Amplitude, Brian May, which came out a couple of years ago, and you, you picked it up and ran with it. And t Tell us a bit more about that and how you yeah. came to decide that was the thing and some of the, the trials and tribulations you've had with it. Yeah, sure. No, I mean, like, um, now, I, I don't know if I have my chronology right. I'm going to say that the iPhone app came out first, or at least that was the thing that I had first, and it wasn't all that, okay? Now, you could see that it had potential, um, but it wasn't right, and then it came out properly and it was better. And I did take it to a rehearsal in its first iteration. I did try it out and I was going, yeah, there's something there. It's not quite there. I don't know what it is, you know? And um, I had a fair idea of what it was. So what, 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 I had a little think about it. Now, here's the thing about amp simulators. Okay, there's a kind of a, um, what's the word? A compartmentalized approach to how they're made. So they, they 
are component-based way into how they're made. So they, they create a preamp, they create the power amp and the, the, the relationship between the two, and then they create the speaker. And these are different modules that join up to make the model sound. And where amplitude was not quite right was the sound of the speaker. And uh, the reason why that was, is it was probably quite accurate actually, is that going back to what I said at the top of our conversation, which is that at the end of the day, it's a microphone up against a speaker cab. So the problem with that is that's not how we experience that. Now with a digital modeler, that's what you're trying to recreate, is not the, the amp in the room, you're not going to do that. You're trying to create the amp in the room through all the stuff and then how it hits your ears. So yeah. we didn't have that in the iOS version and we just had literally the sound of a, and it's, a, it's not a nice sound if you actually just put a mic against a Vox AC30, it just doesn't do anything, you know? Um, so what happened was then the computer version came out and that was better you know, because you had more stuff to play with. And I got some good enough sounds and I took it to rehearsal. I was like, this is okay. I could probably use this as a backup. I was using a Line 6 Helix at the, at the time. And the Helix is a great unit because, um, and Merlin, the form, is, is getting great results with his. But it's a great unit because um, it's gig ready. It's all there at your feet and it's a nice big thing. But it was always a bit too big for me and there was too many buttons uh, and flashing lights on stage. So, um, you know, then the plague arrived. And um, actually, and just before the plague arrived, Amplitude 5 arrived. And in Amplitude 5, they made a huge leap. And the, the leap was like, they kind of approved all the amps and that was great, but where they really nailed it was the sound of the speakers and the way you could control that changed rather dramatically. And then everything was different again, you know? And I got to spend more time with it. And the more time I spent with it, the more I could see what it could do. And then the conversations I was having with fellow nerds weren't so much about oh, the guitar and the treble booster. That was all, we know all about that, that's, that's, that's in hand. But it was now more about what did the mixing engineer do? What did the monitoring engineer do? What did Trip Kaloff do at Wembley? Those type of things. And trying to understand that became crucial, you know? And every time I did a gig, you know, since we came back as well either, you know, but any time like, I did a gig, I always kept in contact with our sound engineers and I'd ask, what would you do with this amp? And they'd explain, oh, I do this, this, and this, and that's how I'd mic it. And I took that knowledge and some experimentation, and then I started trying to recreate the studio sounds. And then I, I really got what it was for then at that rate. Now, for the average dude in the street to come off and buy Amplitude and do that is not what people would expect. They would want, want to buy it and just plug it in and, oh, I'm Brian May. Um, so I, I got that, and I appreciate that, and I had the time. So then I started making the videos and the presets where I said, look, I've done it for you. And if you really want to know how I did it, and I'm also telling you this, not just to help you, but also in the hope that you can do it better than me so we can keep pushing this along. So I started doing that. And that, that was cool, you know, and um, got a lot of traction and a whole lot. I didn't get anybody come back to me with a better preset though, yes. Um, and that's not me being cocky, it's just that, you know, people don't want to do that. They don't want to put in that effort. And that's fine, that's okay. If you're happy with it, then great. Um, I'm forever tweaking them because even though Brian's sound is inherently the treble booster just destroying a Vox AC30, every record sounds different because something else happened that was slightly different to accommodate something else. And those nuances are important too. And Amplitude lets you yeah. do that, you know? It lets you make those yeah, no, nuances you, real. You had some great results and you, um, I can't remember, there was the competition to send in your presets. Yes. We won. Did you win that? I can't remember. So, sorry, no, yeah, I did. And uh, I, I believe you won a prize as well, actually. I, I'm going to play We Are The Champions now. Is that okay? Yeah, go for it. Sorry, yeah, there you go. We've done it. Um, no, um, yeah, yeah, no, that, that, that was it. But, like, to be honest, like, I, I've had a fairly good engagement with Amplitude um, 
yeah. you know, with that anyway. Like, and they've been very supportive of some of the stuff that I'm doing, you know, and they've let me in on some secrets and here and there, and that's been great. Um, because I keep shouting about their product the whole time. Yeah. So, so they get that. But I genuinely believe, you know, and I'm not paid by them, and I did win those speakers, and that was great, and the whole lot, and that was a fair competition. Um, but um, I do believe that the stuff they've done is, is transformative. And it's not just um, Amplitude. Like, in some of my videos, you'll see me talk about the Axio, which is their digital audio interface. Now, as an audio interface, it's great, but the thing that makes that thing work and it's another part of the journey for a digital guitarist to consider is the preamp that goes into it is outrageously cool. It gives feel to it um, that you don't get from a normal interface. And it's something I'm always at pains to tell people, just buy the Axio. If you can't afford the Axio, buy the preamp that they sell separately. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's a world of a difference, you know. So in fairness to IK Multimedia, they, they are very sensitive to what a good guitar sound is and what way guitarists work. Now, the only thing they haven't got there yet with, and hopefully if they're watching, and if they're reading any of the emails I get, is that the live situation is quite different, you know? And when it came to, I, when I made the decision, and it was, a, it was a crazy decision, to be honest, like um, to start gigging with Amplitude, um, it was a nuts decision. The, the Helix is great. I was using the Helix at the time. It's, it's fantastic. It'll never, no, nothing will ever go wrong with it. But I was like, this big chunky thing, and it's not quite right with the sound. And I spent two years at home making this, this, this stuff that sounds exactly like Brian May. Um, so when I built the rig to gig with Amplitude, it was one of the most terrifying stage experiences I had in my life. Um, and true to form, our first gig back last summer after the, the play was an experiment run that was supported by the government here, which was an outdoor event. And I ran onto the stage and I hit the first chord of One Vision and it was all like... Yeah. And then I came to do the intro, the lick, you know, the, you know... And literally when I did that bend, my ankle on my left foot just went 90 degrees like that. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the moral of the story is Amplitude was fine. It was great for the rest of the gig and every gig thereafter. But I, I, I spent the whole gig in absolute total agony. And we had two gigs that day because it was a matinee session. And the drummer had to carry me back to his house. And the only painkillers that we could get were disparate. And I was just like, <laughs> make it go away. <laughs> and then I had to do it again with another gig. You know, it was incredible. But uh, Amplitude was there all the way. Now, um, there was a couple of challenges uh, to getting it onto the stage. And uh, the thing about it is, is that the, the IK Multimedia stuff, if you put it into a rack case, as I have done now since, and to keep everything nice and tidy, it's fine and it's stable and it works. Once your computer is good and you don't mess with it and all of that, and I've talked about that at length in some of my videos, um, what I'd love to see IK Multimedia do is maybe, you know, look at um, seeing if the Axio could be made as part of a solution that is a bit more gig ready, because it's not natural to put it, it's not designed to go into a rack unit. I had to use Velcro. Yeah. So there's a few little tricks like that that I'd love to see them to go and do. But to be perfectly honest, like a roll of Velcro, a 40 euro case from Toman, and a couple of shelves, and you've got yourself a solution that's just fantastic. Um, just, just one thing actually, when we were at the gig in Drogheda, I was talking about, I was getting some interference from something, some lights on the stage, all this type of stuff. And the conversation I have with the sound man is a lot different to other guitarists because other guitarists, if they're using an amp, that's the end of it. You have that noise, suck it up or turn the amp off or that's tough luck son, you know, can't, can't be dealt with. But I had a conversation and, he, and it was about frequencies and he was like, listen, it's just up in the very high top end. If you can gate it after 10K, you won't hurt your tone. I'm like, yeah. And I'm tapping at the computer as he's telling me this, bringing in a noise gate and doing that yeah. and everything's okay. And that, that's, that's what I can do now, you know? I, I can have those type of decisions and all of that. And yeah, sorry, I'm ranting. But there, there you go. That, that, that's how it works, you know? <laughs>
No, it's great. It's really interesting because it's, you know, it's something you're really passionate about and you've got a lot of content on YouTube. So if anyone's watching and wants to learn a bit more about Amplitude and how to use XIO and how Thomas has gone about putting together his live rig, he's got lots and lots of very useful videos where he explains what he's doing and runs through in much more detail than we have today um, on your YouTube channel, which is, I believe, it's Thomas Bronco. Yeah, sadly, it's under my own name, John. I wasn't able to hide it. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's under my own name. And um, the, other, the other thing I'll say is like, look, if, if anyone wants to ask me about this stuff, I'll always give them an answer. Now, the, the, there's one thing I'll just caution, uh, just because I'm really old, is that I'm really honest as well. So, you know, sometimes that can upset people a little bit, you know. And I, I'm always friendly when it responds, but like, you know, I, I have upset people. I'm saying, well, look, the tone is okay. You just need to learn how to do string bends. It's, it's what I think. And that might hurt, but that, that, that's the reality, you know. But that's why I'm doing the video about how you do string bends so it doesn't sound like I'm a total yeah. wagon. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you know, if, if, if there's something I can help you, drop me a message on any of the social channels. Happy to talk about it, you know. And you've helped me quite a bit, Thomas, as well, with my own ramblings of Reagan gig and, and guitar playing. And you've helped the podcast massively as well because, ladies and gentlemen, without Thomas, we wouldn't have a website where I can post up information um, Thomas completely built the Red Special Guitar Podcast website with his own bare hands and has not asked for anything back for it apart from, um, well, not even a thanks for it. No, so I, 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 I'm looking for a lift. Thank you to you for helping me with that. I'm, I'm looking for a lift from the airport in October, John. This is where this is all building yeah. to, you know, you know, really, you know. <laughs> can be done. It can be done. Cool. Um, yeah, so no, thank no. you for thank you for that. It's um, you know, it's. It's the strength of the community coming together to help, to help has been fantastic and I know you're um, not only that you're one of the patrons of the podcast as well and which gains you access to the secret Facebook chat that we've mentioned a few times with um, brother Gonzalo and Susan and, and Jonathan and, and a whole host of other people I've forgotten that I didn't mean to forget um, <laughs> well do you know what it is I mean it, it's actually very important what you're doing you know, because this this is part of the codifying or the um, the recording of the history of what was achieved in terms of all of the discussions and all the building and all this type of stuff. So you, what you're doing is you're chronicling it. But as well as that, obviously, and it's important people realise that, you know, you are a fulcrum for a lot of the community stuff as well, like the meetups and all that type of stuff. And that's extremely important. So go you, John, you know. <laughs> you're doing great stuff, you know. Well, it's people like you, Thomas, that... Um post up and do good things and all I do is just get everyone like your good self in a room and then you will do it for me. It's, my part is, you know, I thank everyone for saying it's it's me, but it would be nothing without all of you and helping make it what it is. So, you know, thanks back to everyone as well for... Yeah, no, you're very kind. And, and and that's cool. And look, look, hopefully it keeps going, you know. I mean, I mean, as I say, the only thing that concerns me about our community is just to make sure that there's always going to be a community and that, you know, as networks fade, that there's still a place where we can rally and be obsessives. Because God knows, well, is... we'll never have a life partner that'll put up with this guff, you know, really, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, Nor would we want one. I my wife to death with certain things at certain times. Literally, we were talking about something the other night and she fell asleep on me whilst I was talking to her about it, so... Yeah. It's um, a true story. There is the original Facebook forum, the original non-Facebook forum is still in existence and that's well worth hunting out. I'll put a link in the description for anyone that wants to go and have a look because in many respects it's much easier to navigate through old information because there is a search function and unlike Facebook it works and it, it goes back in time. You can go back 10, I think around 10 years of information. So you, 
if you've got some time and you want to, um, takes a little bit of effort to sign up just because the moderators on it are slow. Um, I'm one of them. Um, acknowledging, but if you ping me a message and say you're in, then I can make sure that you get done. Mark Reynolds is the other one. He's a lot quicker than I am. But um, go in there and, and hang out and see some of the stuff that gets posted up because it's so much easier to find and there's a different, slightly different feel in there too. But anyone listening, head over there. So um, maybe we should start documenting some of this stuff and putting your videos in a, in a thread on that as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, like, it, it's hard, to, you know, it's interesting. I have a big interest in history as well, sadly, you know, and, uh, you know, it, it's always interesting because I, I actually work with old documents on occasion when I'm doing that other sad ho hobby I have. And it's great to see the permanence of things where you, you can pull out a will from the 18th century and it's still there, whereas the tombstone that they spent thousands on is probably all rotted away, you know. Yeah. But there, there's kind of a lesson for that for us that, like, when you write things down, they seem to last, you know. Um, I don't know about digital stuff though, how long it lasts, you know, or whatever, you know, but um, it's something we, we do have to watch is that all this information is somehow curated and kept, you know, just in case there's other shadows in the future that need to know it, you know. <laughs> I'm sure there will be, and there's, no doubt. you know, if you uh, were coming into the community today and you were just inspired by Brian May yesterday, what a fantastic horizon you have of, of information that you can, can go and find and lose yourself for two years reading it all to gain as much knowledge as you can. I think that's, that's the wonderful thing about where we are now. Well, no, absolutely. <clears throat> and it benefits from a bit of curation as well. I mean, you know, uh, there is a lot of stuff out there that isn't always of good quality either and can be misleading too, but it's nice that you can socially proof it with a community where someone can go, oh, I got this video of such and such explaining this song to be played and someone can just go, well, actually, no, that's kind of wrong. Don't go near that or, or check out this one instead. Because that, that's important because, you know, um, the, the, there's this kind of a tyranny with the internet sometimes where it prioritises stuff for not qualitative reasons, but algorithmic reasons. And only human beings can work as curators until, well, until Skynet takes over, of course, it'll probably be good. Yeah. It. yeah. And, and then we're all stuffed anyway, because yeah. uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger will be jumping through your ears behind you. Oh, <laughs> well, you know what it is. There's every possibility that Skynet could be a Brian May fan, you know, so we could be okay, yeah. you know. Our community could think, be okay, you know. I think, yeah, I think that's probably the way I'm going to look at it. And, I think uh, I will too. Doing this, yeah. so I end up there when, uh, when they do attack. The glass is half full, John. <laughs> Thomas, I'm. How are you feeling? Is there anything else you want to add to anything that we missed out or that you felt you wanted to say that I haven't asked you? I, I think we covered a lot of stuff. I mean, like you know, you never know, John. We might have cause to talk about something again, you know. But I think we've covered a lot of ground. We've covered a lot of, and as as per a lot of your discussions, they tend to be you know largely philosophical, which is very important too, rather than practical, you know, yeah. which is great, you know. No, it is great. It's important because, I mean, like, I think it's a better way for people to relate to the information. You can get cold facts and figures sometimes, but having a narrative against it, that's, that's important and that's, that's great, you know. I don't think there's anything else I need to cover anyway. Um, you know, all I'll say is that if anyone wants me or wants to know about any of this stuff, then great. Um, you know, I know, know that it can cause a bit of rancour sometimes because I'm like, oh, yeah, you don't need an amp, you know. Maybe you do need an amp, you know, but you don't need an amp for certain situations. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to be political. <laughs> so, look, um, yeah, no, no, I'll, I'll cool here, yeah. Giving everyone another option and for people yeah. that live in a, an apartment or a flat or a youngster who's trying to get that Brian May sound they can work with and learn to craft their Brian May style, they, they can pick up amplitude and a set of headphones or some speakers and they can not do what I did, which is try and play an AC30 at full volume at the age of 21 in a built-up area with mum and dad screaming at me. It's far too loud. Oh my God, you actually did that? 
Oh, wow. It's a much better place. Wow, you actually did that. So you actually had an AC Torty in the, in, in the house and wow, oh my God. Yeah, I mean, I didn't play it that often. I had attenuators at one point. But, okay. Um, yeah, it never really went down too well. I had to wait till they went out. And so then you're looking for, you've got that rig and then you need something to play that you can play quietly. And then trying mm. to do the things that Brian does with the chorus is then very, you know, you've got the full AC30 rig and you need to get another smaller rig and it's still too loud because at night when you turn home from work, my dad was like, well, why do you keep playing the same thing? So like, well, I'm trying to practice that thing. Yeah, <laughs> that's how it works, um, Dad, yeah. <laughs> so it made it quite difficult. Whereas if I had Amplitude 10, 15 years ago, it could have been a completely different story because I even sat in my room with my headphones on going, oh, that sounds pretty close. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, there's an interesting point there. Sorry to deviate. I know we were trying to wrap up there, but um, I know that Brian used to use, uh, there was a brand of amp, actually, they still exist, award session. I think Brian used to practice on one of them. Um, I used to have a pedal that simulated them, and actually, would you believe, when I was a teenager, that, or, or was I a teenager? I was a teenager. That, that uh, award session pedal was the closest I had got to Brian May's sound thus far. So I don't know, if Amplitude doesn't float your boat, boat maybe one of those transistor amps from the 70s could do it as well, because like, they're actually quite nice. You know, they were trying. Yeah, definitely, and there's some great smaller things out there. I just remember my dad, Literally, why do you always play the same thing over and over again? Like, oh my God. That's how you yeah. learn it, Dad. You yeah. keep playing that, that section until you've got it, and then you move on to the next. Uh, no, I, I had them driven mad here. Um, I don't know if you saw that go out in the forum, but just, just to tell everybody else, um, I, I've been working on the picked part and breakthrough for the last couple of weeks. I'm just dipping in and out of it. I'm going to do a video about it, but because it, it's, it's, it's probably one of the scariest pieces of Brian's playing. And I just wanted to say, right, I've done this. Now, we used to do it with the band. But I used to do it legato style, just by hammering it on. Um, but I said I wanted to get the pick thing nice and clean and right. And uh, I was using a, a MIDI track uh, to play along to. And the MIDI track was about 40 BPM slower than the original. And I finally nailed it to the MIDI track. And I was like, great. And I recorded it and I stuck it up in the form. And one of the guys was in straight away. Oh, that's slower than the original. And it was crushing. But um, I, I had to spend the rest, and I did, I did get it, but I had to spend the rest of the day getting a 40 BPM faster, you know, which is, is, is hilarious. So I'm going to document that in a video. But the point is, is that you have to do that, you know, and everybody has to do it all through their life. If you're learning something that's at the edge of your ability, you're going to be repeating that piece of music over and over again. And too right, you know, absolutely. Uh, and I will do something that covers that thing because that practice is so essential. But if the equipment becomes an obstacle to you practicing, that equipment is not useful equipment at all, you know. Yeah, completely. And I think that's where I was going with, if I had Amplitude 20 years ago when I started out, I'd have been in a much better place. I'd probably still have gone on my gear hunt and tried to curate certain things and own certain things um, because that's innately what I wanted to do. But I would have been in the best place playing because yeah. I had the, the tools to, to teach me how to play better at a younger age rather than now realising that I need to find something where I can plug my headphones into it at night when the children are asleep and not wake them up. Yeah, no, they don't like that. They get very cross and then they call in people from the government and next thing you know, it's a court yeah. case and nobody's happy then, you know. And the next thing you know, they're in Germany and you're in your flat at home talking to some numpty on a podcast. Ah, oh, no, no, not at all, not at all. Uh, um, I mean, like, I, 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 what's probably happened, yeah. I, I did have to tell them, John, actually, like, not to, not to ring on the phone. I'm using the phone to monitor, you know. But uh, I'm sure there's a little girl in Germany that's dying to get a phone call in now, all right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thomas, thank you so much, though, for joining me tonight and um, running me through your journey at Woodrow Special. And thanks again for all of your help. No, th thanks for hearing the story, and... you know, and uh, hopefully 
there's something for somebody in it, you know? Definitely. Um, but you, you keep well, Thomas, and I will see you at Bristol Airport in October when I come and pick you up. Bristol, is it? Oh, excellent. Okay, I'll see you then. <laughs> cool. Okay. Keep safe. Keep safe. Thank you, Thomas, so much for spending the time with me on the podcast. I know it's been a little while since we recorded that and some things have changed and we certainly went over some of those things at the UK Red Special Guitar Meetup recently, which was only but a couple of weeks ago. And um, yeah, that's such a great day. It was so good to meet you and, and listen to your rig through the PA and I'm trying to understand what you were trying to do in the room. It was an absolute pleasure, sir. And one of the things we did at the Red Special Meetup this year was we managed to get a load of raffle prizes together and we raised £1,500 for the Brian May Save Me Foundation. And um, Thomas has kindly offered to donate outside of that one of his guitars, the guitar that he was playing in the video, to the Save Me Foundation. And that's going to be put on eBay, on my own personal eBay account, with all the profits, proceeds going straight to the Save Me Foundation. So please take a look at the description below where you can find a link to bid on that guitar. It's um, an upgraded BMG guitar that Thomas owned and has been playing for some time, but he's offered to donate that to Save Me. Um, another big announcement on the podcast this week is that there will be more podcasts coming soon. I have taken on an editor in the form of Mr. Andrek Hernandez of Red Special Tribute, who's offered to help me edit podcasts and get them out a lot quicker to you guys. So I'm not recording them and sitting them on such a long time before recording another episode. It's a massive thank you to Andrek. And um, this podcast has been edited by him and put out in collaboration with him, as will all of the subsequent ones. But um, yeah, so thanks to Andrek. Welcome aboard. Thank you for your help. Um, make sure you go and check him out on his Instagram, Red Special Tribute, and have a look at his YouTube stuff as well if you want to see him playing guitar. He's an absolutely fantastic guitar player. Also came to the UK meetup and um, I met him at the Phoenix meetup this year and getting the chance to work with him on the podcast is been an absolute dream so far. So thank you to Andrek. And we have more recorded. We have things that are coming out. We have some changes. So please keep an eye out on our social media for those. Make sure that if you don't already, that you subscribe to the podcast and like everything that we do. Press the little bell icon if you're on YouTube so that you know when new content has been added. And I look forward to seeing you soon. I've got to go. Um, I'm just about to record another podcast right now. That's how busy it is in podcast towers. So uh, I'm going to get on that. Um, and I will see you in the next one. Thanks very much for watching. Um, Keep safe and catch you later.